0: And first, a quick word from our podcast sponsor. Factset delivers superior data, analytics, and flexible technology to help more than 170,000 users see and seize opportunities sooner. For over 40 years, we have given investment professionals the edge to outperform with informed insights, workflow solutions across the portfolio lifecycle, and industry-leading support from dedicated specialists. Through market changes and technological progress, we're proud to have been recognized with multiple awards for our analytical and data-driven solutions, while staying connected to our clients and each other. Learn more at www.factset.com.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Sustainability Story. I'm Deborah Kidd, Director with the Global Industry Standards Team at CFA Institute. And I'm so pleased to have with me today Sean Kidney, CEO of the Climate Bonds Initiative, an international organization working to mobilize global capital for climate solutions. Sean is a member of the European Commission's Platform on Sustainable Finance, and was a member of its predecessors, the 2017 EU High-Level Expert Group on Sustainable Finance and the EU Technical Expert Group on Sustainable Finance. He's also a member of Green Finance Committees in China, India, Mexico, and Kazakhstan, and a professor in practice at SOAS, University of London. So, Sean, thank you for being here today. Thanks
0: for having me, Deborah.
1: It's a pleasure.
0: This is our second go.
1: Yes. Yes, it is.
0: <laughs>
1: we met back in...
0: For a, for a listeners, 10 years ago.
1: That's right. We met first met in 2014 when I heard you speak at a CFA Institute fixed income conference in California, and then I interviewed you for an article I wrote on green bonds called indexes sprout up as green bonds take root and at that time i'll share a couple statistics with our listeners in 2014 the green bond market was 40 billion 10 years ago in 2013 there was one corporate green bond and you and i were talking about there's no standard definition of green there is a unique risk to green bonds called greenwashing and Climate Bonds Initiative had begun issuing standards for environmental integrity in projects and assets that are used to certify bonds as climate-certified bonds. Today, uh, I just looked at your s- most recent semi annual report. There are more than $4 trillion in various types of climate bonds. Including green, social, sustainability, sustainability link, and transition bonds. And you've just issued version four of the climate bond standard. And for listeners who aren't familiar with the standards, do you want to take just a minute to talk about what they are and what it means to be a climate certified bond?
0: Sure. So one of our projects is, um, I'm going to call it definition. What is green? You know, because it's complicated. Okay. Like, once you get beyond solar energy, what about this agriculture investment? Is that right for the future? And this is becoming material because the world is changing. Climate is in. As well as governments are beginning to act. Think of the Inflation Reduction Act. Investors are thinking, well, what are going to be the winners and what are going to be the losers? The world is clearly going to change. It's going to go green. How do I make money in this change? Well, one of the ways to make money is I pick stuff that's Less likely to be negatively impacted by policy going forward and more likely to be supported by policy. That's one. The second thing is what's less likely to be negatively impacted by climate incidents and more likely to prosper. There's a few variables here. So what we've tried to do is to come up with some guidance. The guidance that we've developed is around investments that are consistent with the future we've got to build. And these are science-based. This is not about governments deciding what they think they can, they can do, which is what a national climate change plan is. It really is science-based. It's what the scientists say is what the, the future is. I've just uh, we've just finished doing a webinar for one of our partner agencies, the inevitable policy response. Part of all this is this is ine- inevitably going to happen. And investors believe that now, but it doesn't mean they understand the detail. But the guidance starts becoming important. So what we've done is we've rolled out a certification scheme. So investments that meet this criteria can get a marketing label to make it to just basically cut down the due diligence for issuers, investors, governments and so on looking at this. In other words, they do the due diligence for the whole scheme and they trust the label. And that's what's happening. But it's not the only way. I mean, the broader market because only about 15% of the market is certified. The broader market, we still assess every single bond. We don't get a chance to do upfront prior issuance assessment, which is what our certification scheme does, which is, by the way, done by people like EY or or KPMG or the like, or just analytics. They do an app out- out- licensed by us. But we look at things post-facto. And so we have a, a filter, which again is linked back to our taxonomy, our guidance, what is green. Of all green bonds and stable bonds issued the market, we provide those data sets. It's called a curated data set to index providers, big fund managers. So there's a few things we do. Since we last talked, Deborah, the certification universe has grown. The taxonomy universe, which is broad guidance, without necessarily the very sharp delineation, so it's not quite as gold standard, has also grown dramatically. And we've been developing guidance for governments. So in the European Union, this work I've been doing, the platform on sustainable finance is all about developing and guiding the European taxonomy and state-of-finance that now is a a regulation that all banks, corporations and investors have to report against annually. But also similar things in China and Singapore and Colombia and India, in Australia, in lots of countries around the world. And uh, that's helped underpin investor confidence in the market. And that's critical, a critical feature of making it grow. grow. Um, Because, you know, figuring out what the right kind of agriculture is in terms of our climate targets is not a capability many investors have. And they basically, you know, there's still how hey, you make more money in in a, in a segment, but creating the boundaries of the sandbox has proven to be extremely useful.
1: Yeah, well, from one standard center to another, yeah, I, I can appreciate the, the contribution to market integrity, to investor confidence, and to the ethics. The, in practice, so we're glad to see that evolve. So, Sean, you travel extensively all throughout the world, mobilizing capital for climate solutions through through bonds. What are the things that are top of your mind now? Like, what are the types of conversations that you're having on, and the issues that you're working toward?
0: Transitions. This narrative about how we shift from high carbon to low carbon has become the norm in places like East Asia. Which is fantastic. It's also become the of regulators in Europe who are now mandating that companies have to have a transition plan, including oil and gas company, to shift to to help meet the Europe's targets, targets, what country you're in. So that's one thing, and that we're doing a lot of work in that area and supporting it. The Japanese government announced last week it's going to issue climate transition sovereign bonds. Okay. From early next year, ten billion dollars a year equipment. We see more of that. So, this is another thing sovereigns. We're seeing a lot of sovereign issuance. There's nearly 50 regular sovereign green or transition bond issues around the world. That's a really cool development. It gets linked back to policy. But lastly, we're seeing policy. So, you know, we're under no illusion that a nice market is going to change the planet. Really, with the kind of changes we need to make to risk climate change, we're going to need strong activist industrial and economic policy. Think of an IRA on steroids, the Inflation Reduction Act. We're beginning to see that now. And the post-Biden climate summit, the commitment to 2030 emission reduction targets are sensed by, invest, by uh, investors that the world was changing, going to go green. They're going to have to now pick winners and losers amongst that. That plays into the green bonds, because green bonds are signals that organizations are making a change to become future fit, that support of the green bond market. But the other things governments are doing, like the RA, like the InvestEU or the Renew EU program in Europe, like the GX Green Transformation Program in Japan, these are major, these are huge programs which are developing, let's call it, Credit, credit-worthy investable propositions for investments which are green. So this, like the world economic super tanker, is turning. It's it's really fantastic. We're deeply engaged in many areas around that work in Europe and in um, Japan and in ASEAN and India and China. It's a work in progress, but it is definitely shifting. And you see it in some of the easy areas, renewable energy policy. Solar continues to drop twenty percent per annum in price. It's unbelievably cheap. We have. Republican counties across the U.S. dropping plans for gas plants and replacing it with solar because it's cheaper. It's incredible. Electric vehicles. We saw last year, 20% of all electric vehicles in China were, sorry, vehicles sold in China were electric. This year, it's already up to 33%. In Germany, 50% of all fleet cars were electric. So I'm sorry, the U.S., that's about 8% is way behind. This is booming in other markets. This is already seeing a drastic change in terms of parts industries, supply chain industries, green commodities, let's say minerals like lithium, but also nickel and and copper and rare earths and so on. And of course, energy that goes with it, a push for green energy to fuel these has has been driving demand, et cetera, et cetera. In every sector we look at, the latest is shipping. We've started seeing big shipping companies commission bioethanol ships to replace bunker fuel And a whole bunch of them are looking at ammonia, green ammonia, to fuel their ships going forward to get out of bunker fuel. Or aviation, where in Europe, the sustainable aviation policy the Commission has brought in mandates that all airports have to provide at least 5% sustainable aviation fuels by 2030. And the European Commission will subsidize the price to make sure it's no more expensive than kerosene. So every airline's going to use it. Like the policy action we're seeing across the board is Is exciting. It fills me with hope. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's at the 11th hour. So it's a fine game here, but we're going to make the shift, but at least it's happening.
1: Is there enough capital to finance all of the transition opportunities and needs that you, you know, that's kind of estimated? Or is there kind of a surplus of capital and not enough opportunities to finance?
0: Oh, you hit the nail on the head there, Deborah. Look, the scale of capital we to invest is extraordinary. By the time this is finished, this would have been the largest investment boom by in history by any measure, including percentage of capital deploy. McKinsey's estimates that, that on the mitigation side, we have to invest about $9.2 trillion per annum. That's a lot of money per annum. You know, the US economy is about double that size, right, as a GDP. On top of that... There's the investments we need to make in resilience because climate change is coming in. So we've got to address things like coastal protection in Miami. God knows how we're we'll going to do that. I had a long conversation with someone about it the other day, but also heat uh, in southern US cities is becoming really serious, or in Uttar Pradesh, or, or whatever. And then there's various other problems where it's economic, social, there's a lot to be done, a lot of capital to invest. That's the first point to bear in mind. The, the pipeline here is enormous. The good news, first the good news, is that about two-thirds of what we've got to invest is not fresh capital, maybe maybe three-quarters, not fresh capital. It's changing the procurement requirements of what we do already. Think of it as a building. You know, you've still got to build a building, which you now need to make sure that it's zero carbon and resilient, like thick walls that can keep you cool if the aircon fails. These sorts of things. That's just changing the procurement requirements. It's not particularly expensive, so you're redirecting current capital flows or making sure that water investments you make take into account changing rainfall patterns like do. Should be obvious, right? But it isn't. It's still something people are learning about. The other quarter to a third is new CapEx. Because we've got a CapEx lump, we've got a lot of high capital expenditure investments to make to make the trade. Think of solar farms compared to gas plants. Solar farms cost a lot more upfront than a gas that. But their running cost is virtually nothing. So, we save on OPEX, we've got to do more on CAPEX. So, that's, that's the CAPEX lump we've got to get through, and, and that's for really the next 10 years. But there is another, there's a bit of good news we have, which you're, perf- you, you, you're perfectly right to say, we actually have, have capital resources. We have more capital pools around the planet now than ever before in human history. We've been remarkably good in the last 50 to 70 years at accumulating and creating capital pools. Now, some of that's invested in the wrong place. I mean, think of all those bonds invested in negative interest rate, Japanese and German bonds, right? Whoa, that's not a good idea. So there's a redeployment required, but we do have the capital resources. That builds me of hope. And in the last few years, we've proven that we give those full of capital green stuff, they flock to it. The, the subscription rates for green fixed income are way higher than for non-green fixed income. Now, people have still got to meet the financial requirements. They've got to pay your pension when you retire. So the leeway on pricing is tough. The real problem everywhere in the world is supply. Totally, every investor I speak to. But it's not just the investors I speak to. It's also the the issuers, the governments, the corporates, finding enough stuff that's green to be able to issue. Because what's absolutely the case is our plans to go green are so far behind that we don't have the ready-made things to invest in to make up that $9.2 trillion. Got to get our skates on. We've got the money. We've got the demand. We've got the instruments now. We just kind of need to get our corporate and business and government planning in order, right? Hey, it's a good place to be, but it's not ideal. Ideally, we would have solved that by now. But
1: How do you see that resolving? Are there a lot of small opportunities uh, like investments in startup technology that are going to be important or uh, is this going to be resolved mostly through large scale? Uh, if you're talking about
0: it, an economic and industrial change of the order we see, there's going to be a hell of a lot of new opportunities in that mix. Not that it's all going to be new companies, you know, the reality is a lot of it's getting brought up and big companies have got distribution and so on, that's our capitalists. But whatever, there's a lot of opportunities there. Picking them is a challenge. I don't really follow the startup space that much. And partly because it's a theory of change we've got, is that what drives investment in new ventures will be large-scale demand and uptake agreements and so on. So if you generate large-scale demand for clean energy, you'll be amazed at how many new ventures and startups suddenly get funding. Because you've got a got a great cycle in it, huge contracts being let, and people are now trying to figure out how to bid each other in new contracts to lower the cost of capital to make sure they can stay and the on. One of the great innovations over the last twenty years has been the nature of bidding in Clear for example, the auctions that have been held. Every year we get a cycle of innovation, both technical and financial innovation, because you know high capex, but the cost of capital is everything. Putting those two things together. Has been a real th- of change of new ideas coming through and changing of, of order of who's top dog in th- this particular change because you've had large scale contracting and that sucks in the R and D and sucks in the innovation and yes there are a lot of opportunities and that's of course what VC is all about picking what the opportunity is going to be and making money on one or losing losing out of nine that's the nature of it but one thing you can be sure. There's a hell of a lot of change coming through, and that means opportunity.
1: So I saw you guys just released guidance for transition bonds on how to determine credible transition bonds. Am I correct in that there's no label for transition bonds, or is there now?
0: There's quite a lot of discussion in the European taxonomy of stable finance, what transition talks about enabling investments, I think green investments or green or minerals for the green transition. There's green investments and there's transition investments, which are generally stuff with the goalposts post. are going to keep moving to get to where we need it to be. So think steel. We're not going to be able to get steel manufacturers to go green overnight. Some will. But if they're shifting in the right direction fast enough, we want to make them part of the story. That's that's transitioning, if you like. So there's varied guidance developing. We've published a guidance on financing federal transitions a few years ago. We've recently published guidance on how to assess transition plans, which in Europe are becoming mandatory, by the way, we're developing reference criteria for key transition sectors. We've so far published reference criteria for steel, chemicals, cement, shipping, property. We're about to publish energy utilities. Next year we'll do banks, transition plans. So the idea is, if you're going to do a transition plan, you've got to have a sense of how ambitious it needs to be to qualify. That's got to look back towards our science models, you know, think of the IPCC models, making that easy for people to understand is what we to trying to do at the moment. So there's a lot of work going on, and, and it's not just us, you know, the regulatory authorities in multiple countries are wrestling at this. There are sister organizations, like um, people who have heard of the Science-Based Targets Initiative, or the Transition Pathways Initiative, or, or RMI in the US. These are all friendly sister organizations that we're working with to try and come up with clarity of guidance. There's a lot to be done. But I'm going to say to everyone out there, don't worry. Don't wait for the guidance. Uh, It's coming through. In some areas, it already exists. But if it doesn't, do it anyway, because the world is going to change very, very fast from that one. Prepare. Look at the risks. Understand what the risks are in your industry as the world greens its economy. Like if you're in the auto industry and you haven't got a plan for dealing with the electrification of cars, you're missing a trick, right? Like it's not rocket science. Well, that applies to actually every industry now. And also, in a lot of places, you've got to start thinking adaptation. You know, to think of a toy manufacturer, well, one thing you've got to be thinking about is where are your factories sited. If your factories are sited next to mar lago in Florida, you've got a very significantly heightened risk of flood and hurricane damage because these things are getting worse year by year. If you're sited up in Arizona, you're probably okay That's that right? but you've got to make sure you're dealing with heat. And the potential for the grid to cut out, because in when you get severe heat and you get stresses on the grid, will your factory be okay? Will the stuff you're storing survive a massive heat wave? It might or might not. Just at least ask the question. And that's transition. So we can get started on, on those sort of things while clearer and sharper guidance, which makes it easier for us all starts coming through.
1: So we have a few minutes left. I'm curious, is there anything that I haven't asked you? that you would like to talk about, that you're seeing out there?
0: I I will say this, that for everyone listening, we're lucky. There is a riddable challenge still facing the planet. I mean, let's be clear. The freight train is still coming down the tracks. It hasn't stopped yet. And we're in the way. We haven't got off the tracks yet. So we've, we've really got to, you know, the change is happening, but hey, we've got to do a lot. The critical thing we have to do is to make sure capital flows to the right places, not just in rich countries, in emerging markets too. We actually to kind of know how to that because that's what we've been doing. In the US, that's what we did. Poorer states from richer states in the last 200 years, public policy made sure capital went to the right place. That's what we've got to do globally. The G7 countries have got to band together. They are banding together to act on this and work of G20 and so on. You know, we need the finance sector desperately. We need the finance sector to be focused on green, not just doing deals, which we also need, but advising governments on what they need to do to make sure capital flow. There's an no opportunity here, big opportunity, to shift not just trillions, but tens and tens of trillions, really quickly in the right direction. Like, you know, this is this is this is what really gets me excited at the moment. That's starting to happen. And I'm going to say, if you're in the sector, we need you to be successful. We need you to do more. And note that this is this is the main game. This is this is the chance. I want to say we're lucky. There's something we can do here. Most people, there isn't. Most people who's take us, going to be takers for this stuff. They're going to have to survive. We can actually drive change. And that's why I think that's why I'm working in the finance sector. That's why I think. Uh, we have an opportunity. It's a, it's an amazing opportunity.
1: You mentioned advising governments on how to fund or direct capital. Is that advising them on how to structure debt for a shared risk burden or types of debt?
0: Yep, that sort of stuff. It's also advising them on regulatory steps they can take to de-risk the right kind of investments we have to make. It's advising them on how they can help knock heads together to aggregate demand Think about getting the three big auto manufacturers in the U.S. to start putting up large contracts for green steel. Every single steel company in the U.S. overnight will have massive capex in, in developing hydrogen-generated green steel. You know, there's, there's just so many things the government do that are fiscally efficient. It doesn't need to be massive subsidies, although that's been fantastic with the IRA so far. But there's so much more we can do. But you know, They need to hear that from corporates and finance. They need to understand what's really going to make a difference to investment. And we need a dialogue. We don't make this change operating in silos. We only make this change just think about a wholesale renovation of the global economy if we have a close working relationship between the public sector that has the rules in its hands and tools like subsidies and, and guarantees and the like, the corporations who have to deliver. And where the innovation lies, and finance is going to make sure that the money will still be there in 40 years so we can pay pensions, pay insurance policies. Bring those three together, have a close dialogue about what's going to really make a difference here, and we've got a chance. And there'll be a lot of green bonds as part of it.
1: Yeah. I was going to ask you, what's next for Climate Bond Initiative?
0: Next, one thing that's next for us is around... Supporting governments, we've published the 101 policy ideas for mobilising stable finance, for example. There's more and more coming along those lines. Two is cl- uh, extensions of taxonomy, transitions I've already mentioned. we started working on a climate resilience taxonomy, which is actually guidance about adaptation, physical adaptation, economic, social, health sector, biodiversity measures, all of which will reduce risk of default going forward if we can do it. So what does that look like? How can you tell? So that's the next big, big effort for us. You know, what we're really talking about is how we manage the planet differently, right? And clarity about what works, bringing the science to bear, channeling the science is very much what we're working on now.
1: Sean, that's an incredible transformation from when we last talked in 2014 and you were tracking the labeling, tracking green bonds and labeling them and just starting out with the standards. It's its incredible.
0: We're still doing that, by the way.
1: And the work that you're doing is, and <laughs> yes, yes, you are. I just saw the most, it's uh, semi-annually.
0: Exactly. But um, this has always been the intent, but we need it to prove and work first. And we've kind of done that now with the green bond and sustainable bond market. We've got to keep working on that, but now we can. Well, we've got the opportunity to do much more, so much more. And and you know we're not alone. We we work with our organizations around the world. It's collaborative. There's a lot of people put it in the right direction. Question is, it's easier to collaborate to be cohesive and consistent in what we're doing for the market, give a clear signal, and that's a big part of our work too. Try to um, pull people together, be part of the process of. I I described it in a team meeting this morning of making it easy for people to act, making it easy for investors, making it easy for corporations, making it easy for governments to act. The simpler we can make it, the faster people will act.
1: Yeah, well, I imagine the guidance and the standards that Climate Bonds Initiative puts out really goes a long way in boosting investor confidence in buying climate bonds and green bonds and all of the bonds in that space. So overall, I think the world is fortunate to have you and Climate Bonds Initiative working on this problem.
0: It's very glad you say that.
1: Your website, climatebonds.net, is where listeners can go to get information on the climate bond standards. Thank you so much for being our guest today. It was a pleasure talking with you, Sean, and we look forward to catching up with you again in the future.
0: Thank you, Debra, for the chance to talk.